You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. You know, one of the things that I am uh, growing more and more uh, fond of in the Christmas season is going to the mailbox. Um, My life is pretty boring, I guess, but... uh, no, I just have grown accustomed to the fact that every December, every time I go to the mailbox, or a lot of days, um, when I open the, the box, there's going to be some personalized cards. It's not a credit card offer, and it's not a bill. It's a, um, a card from somebody, a friend or a family member, maybe down the street or in another state, and uh, you rip those cards open, it's a Christmas card. And what's cool is now, um, more often than not, instead of like a generic card, which those are okay, right? I'm not trying to, if you sent generic cards, don't, I'm not going after you today, all right? As long as you sent money, that's great. <laughs> Teasing. But most of the time, it's like, it's uh, photos. It's like a personalized, you know, the family and the scenes and, and all of that stuff. And it's so cool to sit there and look at, at the, the, the backgrounds, the different poses. You know, like if it's somebody you haven't seen for a while, you're like, wow, they have really grown this last year. Or maybe you don't say it out loud, but in your mind, you're like, Wait, they, whoa, they have really grayed this year, Right? <laughs> Something like that, but it's so cool to see that and to, um, and to watch that. You know, we're at a stage of life, especially this year, where we did not send you those kind of Christmas cards. I'm sorry. It's just a little much going on, right? But as I was thinking back, I started to pull up in my own, um, in my own computer. I started to pull up some of our own photos from the past, right? It's kind of cool to walk by memory lane. Look at Selah, man. That's like uh, a year old or something. Do we look different? Do I look younger? Or do I look older there and I look younger now? I don't know. Just going through some of these, right? Just the stages of life. And, and um, even this one, you probably saw this one because it's kind of one that was recent. But you know what? Doesn't it, don't they all look so perfect? I'm biased, I know, but um, like everybody's looking at the camera pretty much. They're on cue. Like, man, this just looks like this is a snapshot of us. I mean, we have it all together. And if you're a parent today, you know what happens before and after that. You know that for a second or five, you get this. But the rest of the time, it is chaos, is it not? It's the baby trying to get him to look at the camera and not cry. It's the toddler, they're not crawling off, but stay there for three seconds, please. Right? It's the bored teenager that's like, can we just get this over with? Can you just smile? Just, just. It's grandpa who's cracking jokes, you know, at the wrong, it's all those things. And what's put out there is like, hey, we got it together. But in reality, we all know different, right? It's, a, it's chaos. And sometimes I think in our culture, we've taken this scene and we think, wow, it was all together. It was perfect. 
It was just like, you know, the baby didn't cry. It was like they were just ready for the photo moment. And we've romanticized Bethlehem, haven't we? I have. I grew up thinking this was just it. No problems, no mess, no chaos. Just, it was just like, whoosh, just happened. And yet, you and I both know as we've lived life that there might have been a second or two like this. Uh, save the wise men, sorry to burst your bubble. Those of you that don't know, they weren't there that night, right? They came later, but um, it might have been like this for a few moments, but the rest of the time, it was messy. It was chaos. Jesus cried. Mary was trying to figure out all the things a mom is trying to figure out. Uh, the place he was born was, it wasn't like St. Rita's birthing center. It was just up there this week and, you know, everything, the protocols, the call back, the go in, you know, you're all those things. That wasn't that night, was it? I mean, the people that showed up, they, they didn't really understand manners anyway. Shepherds, um, they, they smelled themselves. The animals smelled. Jesus was on his own clock, right? He wasn't like, okay, guys, it's ready for the photo. You know, all the protocols, like, do I hold the baby? Do I not? Do I, you know, all this stuff we got going on now. Um, the, the ones that held Jesus first, their fingernails were dirty. They were, Right? You see, what he came into was less than ideal. And the way he came was less than ideal. But I want you to understand as we think about just for a moment this, this word love, L-O-V-E, I practiced hard this week. <laughs> this is what love looks like. Because as they so beautifully talked about up here, the angels, why, why a field? Why a cave? Why a barn? Why? Because in the how Jesus came, he's trying to show us. John says it this way. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, now, it's interesting that he uses this word flesh. Um, he could have used some other words, but I think intentionally used this word, he uses this word flesh. It's kind of a crude, blunt word. You, you see, I think he used it on purpose because he was trying to help us understand that Jesus came into this world and he completely embraced all that this world was. That in him becoming flesh, he took on the human nature in its totality, true body, soul, spirit, will, emotions. Like he became one of us. 
Like he uses this word flesh because he knew that the Greeks that were gonna read about Jesus were gonna be like, they, they considered the flesh to be um, uh, temporary, corruptible, destroyed, cast aside. They had a very negative view of the flesh and they did not ever equate their deities with flesh. And so John writes flesh on purpose just to say, guess what, this God, he became just like you, that corruptible flesh, that temporary flesh. He encased himself in that. The, the Hebrews, man, they were so high opinion of God that they, they wouldn't even, um, they said Yahweh. They took out the vowels because, and here John is writing, listen, God himself became exactly like you. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluid of his mother. He came not as a flash of light or an unapproachable conqueror, but those whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. The hands that first held him were unmanicured, calloused, and dirty. No worldly fanfare, no party, no hoopla, no silk, no ivory, and really no hype except for shepherds. As we've talked about this morning, angels looked on as, as Mary took care of God's most basic needs. The most basic needs. No doubt they watched in wonder as the Almighty himself learns to walk. Children play in the street with him. What do you think the synagogue, his local synagogue pastor thought when he found out that all the time he had been speaking, he had been speaking to God himself every Sunday? To think of Jesus in this light is, it's, it's almost irreverent, isn't it? And so it's easy for us to keep the humanity out of the incarnation, clean the manure from the stable, from around the manger, wipe the sweat from his eyes, pretend he never snored or blew his nose or hit his thumb with a hammer. It's easier for us to, to keep him that kind of the divine, distant, packaged, predictable. But God doesn't want us to do that. And the way he came is proclaiming one central truth, Love, God loves you so much that he comes right into the middle of the mess of this world and makes himself one of us. Perhaps, perhaps your world and your life, maybe it resembles a Bethlehem stable. Crude in some spots, smelly in others. Not glamour, not neat. Perhaps the people in your life are kind of like the animals in the stable especially the ones that are stubborn like donkeys. But I wanna remind you that the moment Mary touched God's face is the moment that God makes his case. There is no place he will not go. If he's willing to be born in a barnyard, then expect him to be at work anywhere. No place is too common. No person is too hardened. No distance is too far. There is no person he cannot reach and there is no one who his love doesn't reach to. 
Everything about this unexpected story, town, parents, shepherds, lowly, humble, despised, is God's way of proclaiming his love. And in his love, he shows us that he completely identifies with us. If you've watched any television lately, you know they have these new commercials that um, I can't remember what it is, but it's like science did that. You know what I'm talking about? Something cool and it says science did that. And I'm just asking you to remember that when you look at nativity, when you look at the way he came, how he came, would you just think love did that? Love did that. You know, we don't understand love or we misunderstand love so often. And yet, in nativity, we see a God who comes into our world that in and of itself is overwhelming, but the nature in which he come, he is just, uh, if God screams, I don't, if he yells, if he's, if he's proclaiming, he's declaring how much he loves you. God is running, reaching out to everyone, everywhere, in every way. This is God, the God who comes near in the stable in Bethlehem. In fact, this is what first John would say later on. John would say in his epistle later on, he would say this, God is love. Love isn't what he does, it's who he is. Because God is love, he shows his love in this way. And this is what it says. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son. If, if nativity is just trying to help us just so startlingly clear, see the love of God manifest not only does he come and identify with us, but he comes in such a way that we know that everybody is a candidate for God's love. But he also reveals to us, he comes to us. Romans remind us that while we were yet sinners, Christ is moving toward us. Christ is dying for us. Christ is coming into the world. That love for us so often is tied to conditions. So often in this world, you have been loved because of something, some condition you met, right? Uh, I love you, man. You're so good at that. I love you. You're so pretty. I love you. You're so, right, love? We, we love things that go well, and we love things that people that do things for us, Right? And yet God is just trying to knock the wall down to say, listen, I'm the kind of God that when you are unlovable, when you didn't deserve anything, when you have went your own way, I come into your world. I move first. I initiate. And I go to wherever you're at. This is love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son. So this morning, I think Christmas is kind of coming, you know, like we've, we've got to see a kid's musical. It's so cool. I love that we're discipling our kids in this way, right? 
They don't forget these things. I have not forgot my musicals and I'm young. <laughs> That's why I haven't forgot, I'm so young. Right? All these hours and this time, we're telling them the story over and over and over again. It sticks, right? But I'm hoping today that so often the world robs us of the sight or the understanding or the knowledge of how much God loves us. This is who God is. This is his disposition. I come to earth. I come this way. Why? Man, you got to get, I'm going to go anywhere, any place, anyhow to help you understand. I love you. Maybe I'm talking to someone today who, this isn't how you think about God. Maybe you've lost sight of this. Maybe the circumstances of life have made you feel unlovable. The mistakes that you've, you've made, the choices you've done, you, you just, they have become your, you know, like how you see everything. Can I remind you that the story we retold and the way that it happens is God always saying to you, I don't care. I love you. I want you. I came in the lowliest, humble of circumstances to show you I will go anywhere and do anything so you might experience my love. I want to read these words. Is that okay if I read this morning? I can't get away from these words of R.G. Lee, a man who passed away a number of years ago. He says this, Christ, who in eternity rests motherless upon the Father's bosom, in time rests fatherless upon a woman's bosom. The ancient of days becomes the infant of days. From the heights of glory to the depths of shame, from the wonders of heaven to the wickedness of earth, from the throne to the tree, from dignity to debasement, from worship to wrath, from the halls of heaven to the nails of earth, from coronation to curse, from glory place to the gory place. In Bethlehem, humility and glory in their extremes are joined. Born in a stable, cradled in a cattle trough, wrapped in swaddling clothes of poverty. No room for him who made all rooms. No place for him who made and knows all places. Oh, deep humiliation of the creator, born of the creature, woman. But in his descent was the dawn of mercy because we can't ascend to him he descends to us. Love did that. Father, I pray today that as we celebrate your birth this week, that we would once again never doubt, never doubt 
as Paul said, the height, the depth, the breadth, the length of your love. And then know whatever space we're in right now, whatever circumstance, wherever we find ourselves, we should never doubt that your love will not come to us, will not be there, that if we will just open up our hearts to you, we will trust in who you are. We will receive your love, experience your love, because it's there, it's waiting, it's going everywhere, any place, anyhow. Love did We can't do anything to deserve this, Father. This is love. God first loved us. Thank you. I pray that everyone in these days will sense your love and know your grace. I pray these things in Jesus' name and for your sake. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.